Turn with me then to our sermon text uh, for the day, Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. As we have seen previously in Genesis, mankind, uh, all of mankind, uh, multiplied from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Chapter 10 uh, is sometimes called the Table of Nations. It provides the big picture of how mankind spread out uh, in their families and clans and tribes and nations and languages uh, throughout the, the earth. But now Genesis steps back to describe an event that happened before they had uh, largely begun to disperse, back when they only had one language. And Genesis 10 alluded to these events in two different ways. Um, It mentioned Nimrod and how his kingdom centered at Babel. We're going to see Babel come up again in chapter 11, as well as Erech and Akkad and Kalna uh, in the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar is going to come up again. Two of those other towns are well-known archaeological sites from the third millennium uh, from this time period as well. And the second reference to these events is in mentioning Peleg, who is named Division. That's what his name means. For in his days the earth was divided. And so now chapter 11 is going to describe that division at Babel. Now according to the genealogy that's later in chapter 11, it seems that Peleg was born uh, about 100 years after the flood, and he lived for 239 years. Now, he could have been named for something that happened at the time of his birth, or he could have been named prophetically that's something that happened in his days. And so the division at Babel probably took place somewhere between 100 and 339 years after the flood. Now, that's kind of the general time period we're talking about then. And at that point, judging from how many children these people had, there would have been thousands of people uh, already uh, on the earth So let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitmen for mortar. And they said, Come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. 
Lord, we thank you for granting us this insight into your works of old, that we might know you better and uh, trust in you and serve you. We pray that you would help us to understand this text correctly and to uh, hear your message, to listen to you with heart and soul, uh, that we might follow you as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Genesis, God has shown that he is generous and merciful. Uh, Time and again, he has demonstrated, despite the rebellion of man. From the beginning in creation, he surrounded man with good things, uh, things that man did not work for or deserve, but were provided from the beginning. But then when man ungratefully disobeyed his maker and incurred judgment, God promised a savior Uh, salvation through the woman's offspring. But again and again, human pride raises its ugly head and casts aside the generosity and grace of God. And so throughout Genesis and throughout the rest of earth history, there are two cities, not literally cities, although as we'll see, sometimes it manifests itself in cities in scripture, but uh, two spiritual cities, two organizations, two ways of life, uh, the city of God, uh, marked by the love of God, and the city of man, uh, marked by the love of man to the contempt of God. Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, but they sinned in the garden. They seized the forbidden fruit and sought to be as gods through rebellion. Cain, Uh, knew the promise, but he apostatized from the faith, refused God's correction, and murdered his brother. And despite being saved from the flood, Ham proved ungrateful and showed contempt for his father. And even though Shem and Japheth proved faithful and were blessed, yet the bulk of mankind turned from the faith of their fathers and joined in this project of building Babel, a monument to human pride. Now, that's not going to be the end of the story. Uh, Chapter 12 will begin to describe God's plan for blessing all the nations, um, saving these nations who have gone astray. But chapter 11 does uh, conclude the first part of Genesis, which tells the story of humanity uh, as a whole. And chapter 12 is going to narrow down to the, uh, the story and history of Abraham and his offspring because it's through them and through their descendant, Jesus, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But this Tower of Babel and what we have seen so far presents you and I with the deadly problem of human pride, which is the foundation of the city of man. Now, in this text, it begins by saying that um, it first describes what man did and said, and then it says what God said and did. Uh, There's a very uh, clear structure here where it describes man's deeds and, and uh, what he determines to do and what he begins to do, and then what God determines to do and what he does. And in the middle, the key point here is where God comes down to see what the children of man had done. God sees, God knows, he evaluates, man cannot escape his uh, gaze. It begins by saying that the whole earth had one language, which makes sense because they came from one family. Uh, They knew how to communicate with each other, and they came down from the mountains uh, into the valley. It says from the east. It actually could also be translated in the east or toward the east. All of this is east of 
where Israel would later be, uh, and east of Egypt as they came out of Egypt. And they settled in the land of Shinar, which is not a mystery where that is. That's Mesopotamia, the land along the Tigris and Euphrates River, what's now Iraq. Uh, it's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture as well. For example, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it mentions how Daniel and his friends were taken to the land of Shinar, and, along with the temple goods, um, referring to Babylonia. And so they settle in that valley, which uh, even from archaeology we know is an early cradle of human civilization. Now they used uh, bricks and bitumen, uh, which is asphalt essentially, and they use these materials, and it probably mentions them because these were common materials in Mesopotamia, were not as common in Israel, where you had rocks to, to build with instead of bricks. Now, it also might be an allusion to Egypt, where they were very familiar with making bricks, a different type of Babel, perhaps. But uh, these people in Babel used bricks and bitmen, they had building materials, and they convinced each other to build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Now, why? The motivation is important. Uh, they did so to make it for themselves, to make a name for themselves, lest they be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They don't want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They will perhaps be forgotten if that is the case. They want to remain and build a tower to keep people together and to build a great tower up to heaven. Now, Nimrod was likely their leader, since we're told that his kingdom was centered at Babel. But what had God told them? God had told them to fill the earth. Now, that was their mission. Why were they afraid of what God had told them to do? Now, this is uh, very clearly, from the few words that we are told, uh, very much what they were uh, opposed to what God had told them to do. That they are trying to do the opposite. Uh, they are fearing that dispersion throughout the earth. And so their pride, their desire for a great name for themselves, is causing them to shrink back from the thing God had told them to do. Like Adam and Eve, they sought to be as gods, to make their name great uh, by ascending into the heavens uh, through rebellion. Now this tower was likely the first and greatest ziggurat, something similar to that. Uh, a ziggurat was much like a, a pyramid, except that it it was, it was not smooth sides, uh, kind of blocky sides as it would go up, and uh, it, it was made of bricks, and it became very common in uh, ancient Mesopotamia, uh, similar to some of the mounds and, and temples in uh, North America and Central America, for example, as well. We have our mounds across the Mississippi River. Uh, of course, those would come much later. But uh, these ziggurats were artificial mountains raised for the worship of the gods to elevate the priests up to heaven and probably originate from this original idea of the Tower of Babel. So they desired to make a name for themselves and to build a city and a tower in that city with its top in the heavens. But as impressive as the city and its tower might have been in the eyes of the people, you know, looking up at it, it likely looked very large. Genesis says that the Lord had to come down to see it. Uh, of course, God is everywhere. God sees all things. But the figure of speech here puts it in perspective. Uh, that it was so puny, God had to come down to even see this little tower that they were building. Uh, the, earth, the nations of the earth are but grasshoppers, as it would later say in Isaiah. Uh, God is 
great, and he sees all, and he evaluates the works of man. And what he saw, he was not pleased with, um, and he wants to put a stop to it. Now, the Lord speaks and determines to confuse their language, to restrain their power. He sees they have great power to accomplish things, and uh, so we need to put a, to put a stop to this and, and to uh, restrain them. And they are using language that I gave them to accomplish this purpose. They are abusing the gifts that I gave them. And so I will divide them by confusing their language. In order to restrain the power of this rebellion, he divides mankind. He scatters them. He gets them to fill the earth one way or another. Uh, his, his will will be accomplished. And the very thing they sought to escape gets accomplished in this way. The work stops. They are not able to communicate with each other. You kind of need that for a construction project. Um, and to live together in a, in a city. And they begin to go away as chapter 10 uh, describes. That they would then go off according to their families and languages um, and fill the earth. Different parts of the earth. This is the origin of, of distinct cultures and nations. Um, indirectly, as a kind of secondary matter, this would create the, uh, what we call races, uh, variations in genetics and generalized groups that people make probably too much of historically, but that is the origin of uh, differences of that kind is a secondary fact that people went off and to different areas and started living together as one group. Um, not that that was the barrier that God created. Even language. People can learn new languages and move from one group to another. But the important part is that he, he divided mankind up and scattered them so that they would not work uh, together as one nation. Now this city was left incomplete and mankind uh, was scattered. And in verse 9 we learn the name of the city. The name of the city was Babel. Now, I don't know why they translate it Babel here. It's the same word as Babylon elsewhere in Scripture. So you could also just call it Babylon. Uh, for some reason in Genesis, they translate it as Babel. But it's the same Hebrew word. Uh, maybe it's because it sounds like our English word for babbling. And there's a similar play on the sound of the word in Hebrew as well. It sounds like the Hebrew word for confusion. Now, if you ask the Babylonian what did they think it meant, they thought it meant gate of the God. But uh, in, in Hebrew, they knew the true meaning here, um, that God had there confused the language of mankind. They wanted to make a name for themselves, right? Well, they sure did make a name for themselves uh, to their disgrace. Uh, they would be called Babel and would be uh, found infamy. And throughout Scripture then became a model for the rebellion, the pride of man, uh, that is lifted up against God. Instead of glory, they were put to shame. So man rises up in rebellion against God to seek his own glory apart from God, forget his name, but to seek the glory of their own name. But God will humble the pride of man and turn his glory into confusion and shame. So the main point is God will humble the pride of man. The first point, then, for you to think about as a consequence of that truth is to beware of pride. Look out. Do not forget God and lift yourself up on high. 
Uh, Do not follow the ways of Babel. Think about it. If the fear of God, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what's the beginning of folly? It's pride. The, the, The not fearing of the Lord. That is the beginning of folly. God is the one who has given us great gifts, gifts that connect us with one another, making us a social being, connecting us with other people uh, in in families and communities, and using language to communicate rationally with one another and to to break things down and to, to work better, you know, that we can learn new ways to do things and construct great projects. But do not abuse the gifts that he has given. Uh, to, uh, to go your own way and forget God. God gave mankind language to love and work together for the glory of God, but they used it to go their own way without him. When this gift was abused, God took away the gift by introducing confusion. And that can happen with other gifts as well. So use God's gifts in his service for his glory. Beware the the pride that often comes with power. Beware the the idolatry of man's power and what man can accomplish. There have continued to be those who want to replace God with man or with the state, those who seek salvation through world power, uh, through uh, the obliteration of boundaries and nations and uh, seeking to consolidate all under one uh, governments, uh, they often want to do good, but they are often led astray by pride, what man is able to handle. They don't know when to stop centralizing. God diversified mankind into nations and families and peoples for a purpose. Uh, there's wisdom in the creation of nations and communities and states and families. There's wisdom in A degree of decentralization. Power is a useful thing, but it's also a dangerous thing in a fallen world, and it's rightly distributed and treated cautiously. And so, uh, love and devotion to to your family and to your country, uh, these are good and proper things, not something for us to overcome and, and to get over. Uh, But this pride does not only manifest itself in the halls of power. Certainly, halls of political power or economic power, you know, can inflate one's view of oneself and and, and, uh, give outlet for this pride. But it can also show up at home. It can also show up at your work. It can show up all over the place. Do you live to make a name for yourself? What is the default motive in the humdrum of your daily life? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you to to put your hands to work? Is it simply to make people think well of you? What is it? Pride can also show up when other people step on your toes. Pride is kind of like a balloon. When you prick it, it explodes. Uh, It's maybe not the only cause of anger, but it can be one manifestation Pride bears fruit of envy and strife, or hypocrisy, or impiety. Now, sometimes pride will bring people together, as it did here at the Tower of Babel. Sometimes it pits you against others. You want to put them down so you can be put up. Sometimes it happens that you want your group to be put up and put other groups down. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're able to, 
to become very highly motivated and successful through the influence of pride and making a name for yourself. Like, I'm sure it was a great tower, probably great architecture that they were accomplishing. But to what end? Pride redirects talents and gifts to a dead end, uh, to a glory that quickly fades. Uh, there are, is the, the path of, of being man-centered and working for the glory of man and forgetting God, a secular view of life, of what is right and wrong, of what is uh, the ultimate reality. And then there is a God-centered worldview uh, where he determines right and wrong, where he charts the path, where he is the one whom we serve and seek to glorify whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. And as the prophets make quite clear, not only is a departure from God and uh, human pride vain, but it's also something that God abhors. It's no little thing to ignore one's maker, uh, to seek one's own glory and to neglect to give him his due. Consider Nebuchadnezzar. In Babylon, many years later, uh, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 was warned about his pride, but then it says, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar! To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. He gave glory to God in the end. His descendant Belshazzar did not learn, and... uh, was held to a higher standard and was removed from office by the Lord for his pride. It's important for rulers, for those who are powerful, to give glory to God publicly, to not take all the glory for themselves, to submit themselves to the higher ruler. It's also important for you. It's not only important for Nebuchadnezzar. It's true for each one of us. Consider Herod in Acts 12. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Do you remember that? On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, to the people. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is true today, as it was Then, God does not perhaps always act immediately. He didn't act immediately at the Tower of Babel. They were able to start building. But God sees and takes note and does not take human pride lightly. So beware of pride. The second point, and kind of the, what do you replace the pride with? Give glory to God. There is the worship of God, and there is the glory of man, whose name will be exalted. God may exalt your name, that is a good thing and a blessing, but what should be the driving focus of your life? To make your name great or to make God's name great? Who deserves the glory and the power and the praise? 
God is worthy of glory and fame. He has done marvelous things. He has brought everything out of, exist- out of nothing into existence, created things well and good, been generous and merciful to all, uh, to his people especially. Worship God. Worship God with humility. Walk before him with humility. That is the one to, the whom, to whom the Lord looks, the one who trembles at his word, the one who is humble before him. Everyone from high to low ought to acknowledge him, to give him thanks, to not just thanklessly take in all the gifts and never write the thank you letter, never say thank you to the one who has given these gifts, but to give him thanks, to give him glory. No one should steal his glory. Fear the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. Just as pride is the beginning of folly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let your whole life be one of service to the Lord in a worshipful spirit, uh, but make it explicit. You know, make it uh, verbal, you know, commit, uh, make, don't let it be simply an assumption. Uh, let this life of service be anchored and directed by the worship of God with your words giving glory to Him. So worship God daily. Uh, worship God in your closet or your private space, worship to God in families. Do not let your family be a secular endeavor apart from God. Uh, worship God in your home. Uh, give Him glory. And worship God together uh, as a church. Devote the Lord's Day to His worship. It's a good reason for it to be a day of rest, because if you don't rest, you're often not going to worship. Uh, we need to set aside our own works to uh, worship the Lord to make sure that we are um, directed uh, unto Him, to cease from your work, to give Him praise and thanks. It's a good discipline, even for your sake, to check your pride, to keep you on track, to reorient you time and again to the source of your gifts and the end to which you uh, walk, the, the, the goal of all your endeavors. Assemble with his people and use your words, use your tongue to make his glory great, to sing to him, to pray to him. Use your ears as well to glorify him, to worship him by giving him your attention and listening to his word. Uh, Come to this worship service here. Uh, Prepare yourself for his worship. If you're going to meet with the governor, are you going to maybe prepare and, and, and come respectfully and, and come on time and, and give him your due attention? How much more for the governor of all the earth? How much for the king of the nations? So make his name great and seek the good of his city. Instead of saying, come, let us build a tower for ourselves that will send up to heaven and make our name great and resist God's decrees, let us say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord that we might learn his ways and walk in his paths. That's what we ought to be using our words for. That's the vision of Isaiah 2. There it's the mountain of the house of the Lord that's made the greatest mountain of all. It's the, the, the church that we ascend to, to worship God, to learn his ways, and to go out from that to serve the Lord with humility, and then God will reign, and then peace and harmony will be established in the earth. So give glory to God.
Make his name great. And the third point is to trust the Almighty. What I mean by that is don't despair at the power of the ungodly or the success of the proud. Take refuge in the power of God. Chapter 11 here, God's confusion of the people at Babel demonstrates not only the danger of pride and the way that God views that pride, that he disapproves of it, we ought to glorify him, but it also shows that God can overcome, that God is powerful and he will confuse their counsels. The proud can seize great power and wield it, can gain great influence with the crowd, It can seem that nothing will be impossible for them. Isn't that what God says? This is only the beginning of what they will do. They have great power. Nothing will be impossible for them. But God acts, and he restrains them. Not only can people seize great power, it happens today. Those who have accumulated great power, some of whom ignore God and seek to oppose his ways. Advances in technology have made this a greater concern to many in the present allowing more and more power to be centralized. Um, Hard forms of totalitarianism or soft forms of totalitarianism. But the pride and impiety of, of secularism, it may be everywhere, but it is not invincible. Do not despair when the ungodly prevail. God sees, God knows, and he will not let evil triumph. He will give time for repentance but he will put the proud to shame when he acts. He must come down to see their dinky towers and to observe their little mud pies and to confound their attempts. In the meantime, resist the influence of unbelief. Keep the faith. God will make his name great. He will make his name great among the nations. It will have its day. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Habakkuk 2 reminds us, Behold, is this not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and the nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God will crush the proud. He, this is a, a warning to repudiate pride, but it's also a comfort to the humble, to the oppressed, who see uh, those people who abuse God's gifts. God will humble the pride of man. He will not let man prevail. He shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. As smoke is driven by the wind, so shall he drive them away. He shall vindicate his name. He will answer the prayers of his peoples to hallow his name on earth as it is in heaven. His name will be sanctified. His name will be honored. God restrains the power of evil today through his common grace. This is called common grace because it's not necessarily saving grace, but it's grace that restrains evil, that keeps people from being as bad as they could. It puts uh, limits upon their abilities and powers to, to do evil. Rather than sending a worldwide flood and simply wiping everything out, he works through history to restrain evil, to overthrow his enemies. He allows men to rise up, but then he also pulls them down. God uses the might of Babylon to accomplish his purposes, and then he tears them down and replaces them with the next group. The nations are like grasshoppers before him. 
He judges men and cities and nations from time to time so that the earth remains and his order endures and his plan of salvation continues to unfold. Furthermore, God is a stronghold to those who take refuge in him. God shows special grace, saving grace, to those who repent, who trust in his provision of salvation. How do you escape from wrath? How do you escape the judgment that comes upon mankind? By humbling yourself and taking refuge in Christ. He is our fort and tower. There is safety in his city. You do not need to build a tower to reach unto heaven, to accomplish salvation by your might and arm, but you must come to Christ. You have provoked God's anger by your pride, but God forgives the pride of man through Jesus Christ. The reason, consider, why did God scatter the people at Babel? He could have sent down fire and consumed them like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. But he scattered them because he wasn't done with them. He scattered them and spread them out throughout the earth because he was not done with mankind. He calls men and women, boys and girls, old and young, from every people and language to take refuge in his mercy that they might be forgiven. And so take heart at his common grace, be encouraged by his work in the earth, and take refuge in his special grace. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so beware of pride, Uh, repudiate it, seek to mortify it, subdue it, crush it before God crushes it, Uh, turn away from the pride that so easily sneaks into our motivations. But glorify the Lord. Replace that pride with a zeal for God's glory to make his name great, not only by your words, uh, worship God, that is important. Don't let it be just a mere assumption because that'll easily get overwhelmed by all the pressures that face you. Make it explicit. Worship God, but also through your work, through your service, to be a light that shines so that God receives the glory. And then finally, take heart in the Almighty. Trust in the Almighty. He is powerful. He will vindicate his name, and he will scatter those who lift themselves up against him. I want to conclude with the final, with another event that took place thousands of years later that we read about in our New Testament reading. Fifty days after Christ rose from the dead, his disciples uh, were gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Uh, there was a feast, and as it was a feast, there were people who had gathered in Jerusalem from the nations, both Jews and proselytes, you know, Jews and, and Gentiles who were also interested in the God of Israel. And they were gathered there in Jerusalem from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, from all the continents. They were assembled there and they heard the people speaking their languages. When the Spirit came down and filled the church with the power and presence of God, the mighty works of God were miraculously proclaimed in all the languages of those present. They had the gift of tongues at that time uh, to demonstrate the fact that the gospel was going to all the nations, that they were being brought into unity through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. 
Now, their cultural identities were not the problem. They were not erased. They still had their own languages, but they gained unity as a common fellowship in the gospel, as one body, as fellow citizens of an international kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of blessing, of grace, of peace, of righteousness. Christ is the one who brings blessing and peace. He is to be the source of unity for the peoples throughout the earth. Uh, He rules not merely externally, but also internally in the heart through his grace. And so blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness to us that despite our pride and rebellion, that you have had mercy upon us time and again, and have not forsaken us, but have worked salvation in the sight of all the peoples through your Son, Jesus Christ, who preached peace to those who are near and peace to those who are far off. We pray that you would grant greater unity in your body, in your kingdom, that we might live at peace with one another as a holy nation and as a people for your own possession. Uh, we pray that the, uh, the blessings of your city, of your kingdom, would spread throughout the peoples and nations and families of this earth, uh, that we might be salt and light in the world. Uh, we pray that you would use every language unto your glory to proclaim your praise, that with one voice we might honor you and serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.